All right, well, we're continuing in Luke today. If you want to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 54 through 59 here in just a minute. I'm sure many of you enjoy watching crime dramas and legal thrillers. Can I see a show of hands? How many of you enjoy crime dramas and legal thrillers? Yeah, I'm surprised not every hand was up, but... um, You know, from John Grisham movies to CSI to Law and Order to uh, Blue Bloods and many others, Americans have a pretty strong appetite uh, for that type of entertainment. And if you've watched many of these kind of shows, you know that at many points in these dramas, and, and there are key points in these dramas, and this is, uh, plays out the same in, in real life, uh, one of the key points is when, when a defendant is offered the opportunity to avoid trial by accepting a plea agreement. Uh, you, you've seen these things play out in these type of television shows and movies. They're offered a plea bargain. A plea bargain is an agreement between a prosecutor and a defendant where the defendant agrees agrees to plead guilty in order to gain some type of concession from the prosecutor. Uh, Often the offer is for the defendant to plead guilty to the original charge against them uh, to get the the normal sentence that is attached to that charge reduced in some way, to get a, a more lenient sentence for themselves. And so the defendant, having been offered this plea bargain, has to decide if they think they're going to come out better by accepting the offer, accepting the the plea agreement, or if they can come out better if they go ahead and go to trial. Probably all of us have seen those cases where the defendant was as guilty as guilty could possibly be. And they have been offered this wonderfully lenient plea agreement, this wonderfully lenient deal. And yet, for some reason, usually due to arrogance, they convince themselves that they're going to be able to get off if they go ahead and take their case to trial. And usually this proves to be a very foolish decision because the prosecution's case is usually much stronger than the defendant realized it was going to be. And here's why it's usually much stronger Because they are guilty. They're guilty. And so when the defendant is found guilty, we marvel at their arrogance. And we can't believe that they were so foolish as to miss out on an opportunity that was too good to miss out on. They had a chance to receive leniency in spite of obvious guilt, but they chose to press their hopeless case through to trial and the full weight of of justice falls on them. Our series in the Gospel of Luke brings us to Luke 12, 54 through 59. And in these verses, Jesus talks about just that kind of situation. Uh, If you have your Bible and you've opened to those passages, why don't you follow along as I read? I'll mention that uh, if you're here any Sunday and you don't have your Bible uh, with you, you're always welcome to borrow one of the hardback Bibles that are in the sh- on the shelves on either side of the sound booth. If you don't own a Bible, there are some uh, soft cover Bibles back there that you're welcome to take as our gift to you. So here's what Luke uh, 12, 54 through 59 says. He, I'm talking about Jesus, said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot. And it is. 
hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way. Or he may drag you off to the judge. And the judge turn you over to the officer. And the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Verses 57 through 59 sound like Jesus is giving us legal advice. And in a sense, he is. He says, why don't you judge for yourself what is right? And then he presents this picture of two adversaries on their way to a magistrate uh, to settle a dispute between them. And, And here is Jesus' legal advice to these adversaries. First, he tells them that it's best to reach an agreement out of court. Before the case gets to the magistrate, before the case gets in front of the judge. He, he says, try to be reconciled on the way. Uh, in other words, try to settle your dispute before you get in front of the authorities. Before you get all the way to the magistrate, get the thing settled. Why is it that individuals and corporations uh, alike are often inclined to settle a case out of court? Uh, it's motivated for the, uh, by the same reasons that Jesus lists here. The magistrate may drag you to the judge. The judge may turn you over to the officer. And the officer is going to throw you in prison. This is why people settle out of court. It is to avoid a much worse consequence. That's why people reach, reach these types of settlements. Reaching an agreement before you get in front of the judge, though it may be costly, is often much less costly than if you take the thing all the way to trial. And this is especially true in the situation where the evidence against a defendant is clear and undeniable, where they really have no defense, where their case is hopeless. Jesus is telling them it's best to reach agreement out of court, and he is warning them against trying to see a hopeless case through to the end. The tone of Jesus' comments seem to suggest that the defendant in question is guilty. He says in verse 59 that if they go to the judge, the judge is going to throw them in prison. He warns, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. The actual word used here was uh, lepton, and it was the smallest sum of money in use at that time. What, What Jesus is saying is that if you're guilty and you insist on seeing your hopeless case through to trial, plan on being found guilty and plan on paying your penalty in full. Don't plan on any leniency. You're going to pay your entire debt. At the time of Christ, it was very difficult for people to get out of debtor's prison. They had no way to earn money, to to get out, to to earn their way out. And so they were really at the mercy of of some benefactor deciding that they would pay to get them out. That that was really the only hope that they had. Theologian Daryl Bach confirms this was the case at the time. He tells us there was very little possibility that people were going to escape once they had been thrown into debtor's prison. So Jesus' legal advice is settle before you go to court 
And don't try to see a hopeless case through to the end because you are going to pay very dearly for that error in judgment. That's great advice. Haven't you wished that some of those defendants in movies would take that advice? I mean, haven't you been kind of willing them to take that kind of advice as you've been watching this? No, you have a great sense of justice and you want them to be found guilty, don't you? (laughs) You want them to pay the full penalty. But I found myself saying, come on, come on, you got to take that deal. It's too good to pass up. And yet they pass it up. It's advice that we would sometimes do well to take. You know you're not getting out of the speeding ticket by going to mayor's court, right? You, you know that. You're not going to get out. You know that you are not going to be able to convince the court that, that the police officer's radar, that the calibration was off and, and you really weren't speeding. You know that's not going to work, right? You know that this airtight case of all the other cars on the road were going as fast as I was, (laughs) is not going to persuade anybody. And so you're better off just to pay your fine, mail it in, don't bother going in front of the judge, and be done with the matter. Why does Jesus offer this advice? What what is it uh, that is his motive for these comments? Why is he motivated to share uh, this information, this legal advice with them? Look at verse 54. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Jesus is chastising them for being so clued into things like the weather while being so clueless to the opportunity that has been presented to them specifically himself. They're very clued into the weather. But they have this great opportunity named Jesus standing in their midst and they are completely clueless. They were awaiting their Messiah. They, they, they all would affirm that we're, we're looking forward to the day when Messiah comes. Their Messiah has come, and they are missing this great moment. Bach says it this way, the crowd has missed the moment of God's salvific activity. Their Savior, their, their Messiah, their, their Redeemer had come, and they were missing it. Their Messiah is standing right in front of them. And yet this opportunity that is too good to miss, they are missing. They need a Savior just like I need a Savior, just like you need a Savior because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, because we have de-godded God. Their Savior has come and they are missing the moment. They are not recognizing Him or worse yet, in many cases, they are willfully rejecting Him. Willfully rejecting So in light of uh, this situation, Jesus' advice has very practical implications for those he spoke to that day, and it has very practical implications for us. Uh, Here are a few points that I want to share over the next few minutes about uh, what these comments of Jesus mean for us, how they uh, applied to them then, and how they apply to us now. First, they needed to know, and all of us here today need to know, that God's jurisdiction over our lives cannot 
be avoided. God's jurisdiction over our lives cannot be avoided. Jesus told them to settle the dispute before it gets in front of the authorities because once it does, it's going to end up before the judge. Scripture teaches us that every man, woman, boy, and girl is going to stand before God in judgment. The one who created us, the one who sent his son to save us, is going to judge each and every person in this room. I'm not getting off. Not a single one of you are getting off. We will all be judged by God. Now, we try to convince ourselves, many of us do at least, that that we are our only authority. But friends, that's wishful thinking. And wishful thinking doesn't make something true. God is our judge. He's the creator of everything that is. And as such, the whole world, including you, is under his jurisdiction. You and I, at the moment we are born, are on an inescapable path leading us to an appearance before the righteous judge of all the earth. And that is a really problematic thing. That's a really big problem for us. Let me make it more personal. That's a really big problem for you. It's a problem for me too, but but I want you to own this. It's a really big problem for you. And here's why. Because you have a really bad case. You have a really bad case. In fact, every single one of us in here today have a hopeless case. A hopeless case. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned, and the Bible tells us that the wages for that sin is death. All of us in here are as guilty as guilty can possibly be. I'm as guilty as guilty can be. You're as guilty as guilty can be. I have no defense. You have no defense. The evidence is clear. The evidence is overwhelming. The evidence is undeniable. Jesus says that if we get in front of the judge without having reached a plea agreement with the prosecutor, we're going to be thrown into prison. Consider what else he says. You'll not get out until you've paid the last penny. Judgment is coming... Those found guilty will be imprisoned and they will not get out. You say, Brian, Brian, hold on a second. Jesus only says they won't get out until they pay the last penny. So there's a chance. There's a chance of getting out, right? No, not right. Jesus is using an earthly example here. Even in the earthly example, the chance of getting out was pretty slim. But here's the point. The person doesn't get out until the full debt is paid. 
And here's some horrible news. When it comes to our debt with God, our debt accrued because of our sin, our rebellion, our dethroning of God, the debt's too great. Can't repay it. You have no ability, no no, uh, resources to be able to pay the debt. You know, this is the reason why the Bible teaches us that hell is forever. Hell is forever because we have no way to work ourselves out of the debt that we've uh, uh, accrued from God. We have no way to resolve our problem with God. We, we don't have the ability. There, there, there is nothing available to us to work, to earn our way with God. You know, the Bible tells us that our works of righteousness are as filthy rags to God. So the best that we can come up with doesn't get us anywhere in working our way out of the debt that we have with God. And so if you stand before God, the judge, without having reached a plea agreement beforehand, you will be found guilty. You will be condemned to separation from God forever. You will have no chance for appeal. You will not get out. And people want to scrub this little inconvenient truth out of the Bible. But friends, it cannot be done. It is there, and it is clear. Jesus warned about it frequently. And so here's the main point that Jesus is making in all of this. It's vitally important that you have your debt with God settled before you stand before God to be judged. Your case is hopeless, so you better settle out of court. You're going to get a much better deal if you just plead right now than if you arrogantly refuse to plead guilty and insist on taking your case to trial. Insist on taking your chances before the judge. But you know, we're all tempted to take our chances before the judge. We are. It's deep in us. We're tempted to think that we would be able to impress the judge if we get in front of him. Just like I've convinced myself many times, if I would just take the time to go fight that ticket, I know the judge would be impressed by me. I know he would understand that the reason I ran that stop sign is because I was so excited to get home and eat the chips and salsa I had bought at El Portel in Reynoldsburg. I know he would understand if I could just explain my case. And we all think this. We think our I'm a pretty good person defense is going to somehow be uh, compelling to God. Some of you who even heard that line and said, okay, Brian, I know that's ridiculous, but you're living as if you believe that. We think our I never killed anyone defense will be quite impressive. God, I know I lied, I cheated, I, I stole things, I gossiped about lots of people. Come on, I never killed anybody. Okay, come right on in. Com- compelling stuff. 
We think our I helped little old ladies across the street defense will get us a more lenient judgment. We think our I know I did some things wrong, but I wasn't that bad defense will get us off the hook. But friends, we are fooling ourselves with all of these things. And we can laugh at these examples. And some of us who have been around the church and heard these kind of things referenced a lot, we laugh at this. And yet I would say that the vast majority of people who have never come to faith in Jesus, this is what they're relying on. This is real stuff. People really think this is how they're going to get by with God. And some of us who say we understand the gospel still think this is really the way we're going to get by with God. But we're fooling ourselves. And we're fooling ourselves because the case against us is clear, compelling, and overwhelming. We are a rebellious people. You are a rebellious person. We are self-centered. You are self-centered. You might have fooled all of us. We might think you're great. But God knows the truth about each one of us. He knows that you have removed him from his throne and you have put yourself there in his place. You're self-centered. We are wicked. We have over and over again ignored God's rightful rule of our lives. I say it a lot because it, it just so describes what we've done. This, this phrase that I heard from Tim Keller, we have de-godded God. It's what we've done. Every single person in here, no matter how good we think we are, we have de-godded God. We are guilty. Friend, God has an absolutely airtight case against you. If you take your case before the judge, you are going down. You don't stand a chance. The evidence is overwhelming against you. This is what Jesus is telling them in these verses, and it's what he's telling us. And what he's hopeful will happen from being this honest with us is that it will shake some sense into us and motivate us to not miss this wonderful opportunity that's been presented to us that is right in front of us in the person of Jesus Christ. Just like the people then were failing to appreciate God's work of salvation in Christ that was happening right in front of them, some of us here today are doing the same thing. God is obviously at work in front of you. God has obviously been at work in your life in many ways. And you're either not recognizing it or possibly you are willfully rejecting it. Hear the words of Jesus today. Plead before it's too late and you're standing in front of the judge. I titled today's message, There's an Offer on the Table, and it's true. God has presented each one of us here today with a plea bargain. And it's an opportunity that is too good to miss out on. God's provided you with a gracious offer for resolving your hopeless case before it goes to judgment. And the plea agreement that God offers each person here today is Jesus Christ. 
John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You are as guilty as guilty can possibly be. You have a hopeless case before God, but God loves you so much and He loves me so much that He provided Jesus to bear the penalty that was rightfully ours. That's why He was crucified on a Roman cross. And here's the agreement. Here is the offer that God has on the table in front of you today. First, He wants you to plead guilty to the charges against you. You want the offer, you you plead guilty. That's the way it works. You've sinned. You've violated God's commands. You've rejected His rule over your life. You've dethroned Him. You've set yourself up as king. And God wants you to admit to all of that. He wants you to admit your guilt. John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from every wrong. You, You can foolishly cling to your weak defense, whatever it is, But you will not benefit from the offer that God has extended you if you foolishly cling to this weak, hopeless case, this hopeless defense that you have. You have to admit your guilt. And once you're willing to admit your guilt, then God asks you to believe that Jesus died for your sins and that He rose again showing that His work on the cross accomplished all that it was supposed to. You admit guilt, you believe that Jesus is the answer to your problem. You, you believe that He really is the, the plea agreement that God has for you. Acts 4.12 tells us that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Admit your guilt, believe on Jesus, believe that He is the answer to your problem. Believe that He is your way out. Believe that He is your way out. Once you've admitted guilt, once you've believed that Jesus is the answer to your hopeless case before God, then God wants you to actually ask Jesus to come into your life and to be your Savior and to be your Lord. You've admitted you need help. You've acknowledged that Jesus is that help. And now you're asking Him to actually help you. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then having admitted your guilt, having believed that Jesus is the answer to your hopeless case before God and having asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, God then assures you that you are, you are the recipient of His costly to Jesus but free to you gift of salvation. The free gift of salvation. You don't have to try to earn your way with God anymore. You can just rejoice in having been the recipient of this wonderfully gracious offer, this wonderful gift of eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 assure us that it's by grace we are saved through faith. It's not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, 
not by works, so that no one can boast. So this is God's plea bargain that he offers to everybody that's here today. This is the offer that's on the table. As they, as they say in the crime dramas, it's on the table. And yet, here is what many of us do. Some of you have been doing this now for years. We look at God's offer. We consider our case. And we say, I'm going to take my chance in court. I think I can see this thing through. I don't think I have to admit my guilt. They know they're guilty. You know you're guilty. But people every day reject this too good to miss opportunity and decide to take their chances with their I'm a pretty good person defense. They're willing to go with that to the final judgment. Friends, listen today. I appeal to you. That is a recipe for disaster. Because listen, while it is sin that separates us from God, in a very real sense, it isn't so much sin that's going to condemn a person to hell as it is their rejection of God's extravagantly gracious plea bargain. I hope you'll receive this next thing I'm about to say in the spirit that I, that I mean it. To look at your hopeless case and to consider God's gracious offer and to decide to take your chances without accepting God's offer means that you either, A, don't get it, and you need to think through things a little more, or B, and I think this is true for somebody here today, and you need to hear it, even though it's a hard word, B, you're extremely arrogant. Jesus, when he gave this teaching, was speaking to people who were missing his activity of salvation that was taking place among them. And through the Bible, Jesus is speaking to people here today and has continually been speaking to people here today who are continually missing, either ignorantly or willfully, his activity of salvation in their lives. And the advice Jesus gave people in that situation then is the advice he gives to people in that situation today through his word. He says to you, settle your dispute before it gets to court. He says to you, don't try to see your hopeless case through. Don't do it. Why don't you stand?